Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for the pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised themselves obey, even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy upon the Israel of God. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your words, and we ask that you would be with us this morning so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. We all know that we have a number of things pulling us in different directions every day. We have the expectations of our jobs or our schoolwork. We have the attention that needs to be given to our family and to our personal relationships. We have the hobbies that give us a creative outlet, a way to care for ourselves. And we have our obligation to serve God. The question I want us to think about this morning is what priority do we give to these various needs? And go ahead and think about it for a second. Jobs, family, hobbies, God. How have you been prioritizing these commitments?
I imagine for many of us, we would tend to prioritize our families over our work, but would admit that there are times when that hasn't been true. I think, for example, of one pastor who told me about the strain his work put on his marriage because this calling of ours seemed to always be the more immediate need. It wasn't until his wife confronted him about having a mistress called the church that he realized he was neglecting the commitment to his family. Likewise, I would imagine that many of us would agree that it's important to have healthy enough boundaries with your job so that you have time to practice self-care. And so we would find time to prioritize the things that bring us joy, that recharge our batteries so that we can tend to the other commitments in our lives. But again, there are probably times when most of us have realized we haven't given enough time to ourselves, when we have woken up in the morning and feel ourselves getting burnt out, just going through the motions to get to the end of the day. And finally, most of us, since we are sitting here this morning, would probably say that our obligation to God should be pretty high on the list as well. In trying to balance the needs of ourselves, our families, and our jobs, we can probably all admit that just like our other obligations, we sometimes leave God waiting. Sometimes we do this on purpose because we don't want to go where God is leading. I think of myself and a great number of my colleagues who sympathized with Jonah, who heard the call that God had placed on us, said, God, you must be crazy to call me there, and did everything that we could to go a different way. Sometimes, though, we leave God waiting just because we get overwhelmed with everything else. I think of a conversation that I overheard at seminary where a pastor said that she doesn't have any expectation for her kids to go to church because they're so busy every other day of the week. And it's easy to sympathize with her. When we were growing up, my sister basically treated softball like a full-time job. Our family spent weeks on the road every summer driving across the country for her to play. Countless more hours were spent driving to and from practices all year long. And for her, it worked out. She did go on to play college softball. She's gone into coaching college softball for a living. But she was one of two or three people in our entire school district to be putting in that much time. She was an outlier in the amount of time that she dedicated to her extracurricular activity. And now that she's an adult, she's figuring out how to rebalance her life. She's finding ways to intentionally build relationships out of her hobby-turned-job. She's been finding groups and people with whom she can explore her faith more deeply. But it takes a great deal of intention to balance those priorities. The thing that worries me is that it seems that when I look at schedules now, or when I hear from parents, that level of commitment is becoming more and more commonplace. We place such great expectations on our children to find something that they can commit every fiber of their being to. 
even before they have jobs. We're training them to maximize their job potential. We're training them that above all else, the job comes first. The old saying goes that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But the flip side of that is that if your job and your passion are the same thing, all the other boundaries break down. Where the job ends and self-care begins becomes impossible to distinguish. And we see this in a number of different ways. I had a roommate in college who loved meteorology. He majored in it. He did original research in order to graduate. But as we went through school, he realized that it wasn't what he wanted to do for a living. He realized that doing it because he had to took all the joy out of it. So he went a different path and is now able to balance his job and his self-joy in an enriching way. Contrast that with the example of a YouTube channel that I followed. It began as a way for a few friends to make videos and tell stories with each other. And the authenticity of their interactions and the creativity of their work made them a sensation in the world of online content creation. As their channel grew, they gained interest from a media network that wanted to add them to their lineup of creators. So of course, they took the chance to do what they loved professionally. But as their passion became a job, they started to lose the joy in it. The loss of joy affected the quality of their storytelling, which affected their ability to do their job, which affected their self-esteem, which affected their relationships with their loved ones in a spiral of despair. So that when they finally lost their jobs at the media network they joined, it was actually liberation that they felt. The balance of priorities had broken down so much that none of their commitments was being honored in a way that satisfied any of them. Now into all this stress of life, the words of Paul break forth. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul offers us a radical reorientation that doesn't just say God first, but God only. When God becomes the sole focus of our attention, it reorders everything else from the ground up, from the inside out. Care for ourselves becomes a priority because we're reminded that we are made in the very image of God. If we want our attention to be on God, then our attention must necessarily be on nurturing the image of God that is within us. It means that we never forget the fact that God loves each and every one of us absolutely. It means we remember that God is always working to draw us closer to God. In short, when we orient our lives around God, we are orienting our lives so that we may constantly dwell in the love and presence of God. This reorientation also makes care of others a priority as well. When we know the love of God, we have no choice but to share it with others. When we think of the mercy that God has shown us, we will be inspired to pass that mercy on to others. We will be reminded that just as the image of God is within us, it is within those around us as well. 
Just as God loves us, God loves each and every human being, even those that we perceive as our enemies. A God-centered life is a life that allows those around us to constantly dwell in the love and presence of God through us. Of course, this invitation to a life of love will also create boundaries for us. It will mean that certain ways of living are off limits to us. Wesleyans are famously opposed to the drinking of alcohol, but how many of you are aware that this prohibition stems from issues of economic justice? That John opposed alcohol because the alcohol industry preyed on the poor of British society. This is the same reason that we're prohibited from participating in gambling. It's why as Methodists we're not to profit from the works of arms manufacturers. In his sermon, The Use of Money, John tells us that we're not to gain from anything that hurts ourselves or our neighbors. In other words, a life oriented around God provides us with necessary limits toward our work, toward our hobbies, toward anything that relies on the denigration of the image of God in another human being. And we have to be honest about the fact that a God-oriented life will set us at odds with the world. In last week's Gospel reading from Luke, we heard Jesus dismiss several people who were not ready to reorient their lives. To the man who offers to follow wherever Jesus goes was the warning that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There is no safety and security in following Jesus. To the man who wants to go bury his father, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. To the man who wants to say farewell to his family comes the reply that no one who has second thoughts is fit for the kingdom. Matthew's gospel is likewise clear about the price of a God-oriented life. There Jesus proclaims, for I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Christ is telling his followers that if God is going to come first, you have to be ready for what that means. The common bonds of the world do not withstand the trials of godly obedience. The enmities of the world crumble before the love of God. The price is steep, but the reward is greater. In return for a Christ-centered life, we receive a life of abiding joy we receive a life of assurance through the faith of Christ. We become a part of the life of God. As our world becomes ever more addicted to busyness, the call to orient our lives around God becomes more radical and necessary than ever. When we stand before the throne of judgment, God will not ask us how much we have in our bank accounts. God will not ask how productive we have been. 
God will not ask about our titles, our grades, our scores settled. God will ask, did you orient your life around me? Did you love one another as I loved you? Was I the first and the last, the alpha and the omega? Did you crucify yourself for me? Amen. Please pray with me. God of life and love, place yourself at the center of our lives. Let every passion and desire pass through the lens of your love. Make us to see the world with your eyes so that we may be ever driven by gratitude toward you and benevolence toward our neighbors. Amen.